Well, thank you, and good evening once again, everybody. Beautiful. Sounded lovely. As always, appreciate your guys' use of your gift to bless us as a church each week, so grateful for that. So, let me just start by asking a very important question. How many of you are familiar with the name Jason Bourne? Raise your hand real high. Okay, so I thought it would be a lot less, actually. And I started looking at the movie and when it was made. Can I just see those hands again again? Jason Bourne. Okay. How many wish they heard of the name Jason Bourne? <laughs> just one. Okay, thank you, Heidi. Okay. So Jason Bourne is the character in a... I think it's Robert Ludlum. Is that who wrote the book? Robert Ludlum book. Um, he is a, a special operative, a secret operative within the CIA. Right? That the problem is, he doesn't know it. He wakes up in the water, two shots in his back, and he has no idea who he is. And he spends the entire movie, the entire book, if you read the book, trying to figure out who he is. And along the way, of course, there's all these signs, right? He, uh, he's a martial arts expert, right? He can just take down anybody at any time with anything in the room. He's, he's the man. He speaks all kinds of different languages, right? At one point he goes and he gets this uh, safe deposit box and it's got like passports from all over the world with different names, all with his picture on it. There's money from all over the world and there's this handgun in there and he's like, who in the world am I? Like, what is happening? So he, he spends the whole, the whole movie trying to figure out who he is and he doesn't figure it out until the very end when one of the people who kind of brought him into this situation in the first place tells him, hey, this is who you are. You're part of this thing called Treadstone, and we're sorry, but this is who you are. And it got me thinking, well, first of all, I apologize. If I spoiled it for you, you're going to go watch it. I feel like there's a, so like a statute of limitations. The movie's been out for 20 years, okay? The book, even longer. So if you didn't know at this point, you're probably not going to know. But it did get me to thinking about my own identity, because I love that movie. I love it. It's a series, actually. You can go look watch the whole series. Um, asking myself, you know, who am I? Asking, you know, who would my friends say that I am? Who would my family say that I am? Who would the world say that I am? And then I landed on sort of the biggest question as I was unpacking this. Is who does God say that I am? And so my aim today, this evening, is to sort of ask that question, hopefully give us some clarity on that question as we're walking through this series together of, of firm foundations. One of the things that we need to understand about our identity is what it is. Who are we? We don't need to walk through this life like Jason Bourne going, man, I wish I really knew who I was, because then I could actually do something and make a difference. We know who we are. The Bible tells us very clearly who we are. And so let me open this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father God, that we don't have to walk through this life wondering who we are. We know so clearly who you have called us to be. You've called us out of the world. You've called us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. And when we're in the light, Father, it's so clear to you and to us. And we pray to the world our identity. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this evening. Lord, perhaps for some of us, it's just a good reminder of who we are. But I think maybe there are some here or some listening that are going to gain a better insight or perhaps for the first time, increasing clarity of who they are in Ukraine.
Christ. And so lead us, I pray. Guide me as I preach this afternoon. I thank you for your help, protection. God, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to pull most of my examples out of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So Galatia, right? Anybody know where Galatia is in modern day time? Anybody? Turkey. Turkey. All right, that's right. Modern day Turkey. So here's here's who Paul's writing to, Christians in modern day Turkey who are struggling with their new identity in Christ. Why? Well, because they had a long history of being shaped and molded by something. What were these people being shaped and molded by? What was it all about for them? It's the law, right? Keeping the law of Moses. And it was no easy task to break them away from that. You go through and read Galatians, and a lot of Paul's letters actually, but Galatians in specific, man, they were having a difficult time embracing their new identity in Christ. And so, as the saying goes, old habits die hard, right? Well, our old habits, our old ways of thinking, our things that shape our beliefs, shape our motives, also die hard. (laughs) If we're honest, I think we'd be willing to admit that. In other words, we often battle against who we long to be in this world and who we truly are as Christians. Anybody familiar with that battle? Trying to figure out what that looks like? Now, you might think that those two things maybe go hand in hand, right? Like, I'm a Marine and I'm a Christian. Or I'm a mom and I'm a Christian. I am a student, an artist, or even a pastor. But I'm also a Christian. Of course, these things are true. The challenge arises, when I think, when we begin to examine our hearts to see how these titles and how these sort of statuses influence our motives and our desires. And more importantly, what do they say about God? What do I, my identity and what I do say about who God is? I think that's something that we are regularly going to battle against because this world, (laughs) it's how we're defined, right? What you do, where you live, your children, your hobbies, your investment portfolio, your political affiliation, all of this in this world defines who you are. Would you agree with me on that? If you're not a Christian, that's what's defining you. Something is shaping who you are. If you're in Christ, hopefully it's Christ. If you're not in Christ, it's everything else that this world has to offer. These things, they make up your identity. And so Christianity, it pushes back against that and says, nope, that's not how we do things. Now, can those items be important in your life? Of course. Is your family important? I hope so. (laughs) They can be influential even. But your true identity is not in any of these things. It is in Christ solely. Is the primary source of your identity. You see, one of the many problems of finding your identity outside of Jesus is that there is nothing that can hold up over time. Right? Everything fades away. Jobs come and go. Kids grow up and move away, hopefully. Jobs, like I said, they go away. Politicians, they disappoint us. We grow weary of doing things that don't give us what we really want in them, and that is hope and lasting purpose. We cannot find lasting purpose and hope in anything this world has to offer. Yet we try, even as Christians. Only Jesus is unchanging and unable to be our constant source of identity. So how many of you have heard or maybe said yourself, my identity is in Christ? 
Like, my identity is in Christ. How many of you said that or, or have heard somebody say that? Hopefully, all of us. But what does that even mean? <laughs> like, it's easy to say that, oh yeah, my identity is in Christ. Okay? Well, more than being born again, more than just being a follower of Jesus, what is the makeup of your identity? How do I look at you and say, yep, that person's identity is in Christ? How do those things shape who you are into the image of Jesus? And for what ultimate purpose? Why are you who you are in Christ? For what purpose? What is the end game? And so I'm going to look to some examples, like I said, in Galatians, and hopefully answer the question, who does God say I am? Number one, we are children of God. We are children of God. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now let, let that just sink in for a minute, because I think sometimes... We say that just sort of in passing. Yeah, I'm a child of God. You are a child of God. That is the creator and sustainer of the universe. Now, I think for some people, maybe that's a bit overwhelming. It's like, oh man, <laughs> I don't rate. Or, uh, how, does this, how does this work out? I like this example somebody gave a while back. I don't remember even who it was. Think about a, a mighty king a ruler, a strong and powerful sort of rigid, like iron fist sort of guy, right? He's asleep in the middle of the night. Who is the one person that can come into the bedroom and in the middle of the night and ask for a cup of water? Child, right? His son or daughter. And that mighty king is all too happy to care for his young child, right? But that's an earthly example. How much more does our heavenly father care for us? Romans 8.32 tells us this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, we are family. We are adopted as his children. We're on the inside, so to speak. But we don't often act like that. But as children of God, that comes with the unconditional love provided by the Father. We are cared for by Him. Yes? We are loved by Him, provided for by Him. We're led by Him, encouraged, disciplined, sustained by Him. And we have direct access to the Father. This is who we are in Christ. Children of God. And man, it's important to know that you are a child of God. Building on that, the second thing is that we are forgiven and set free. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what are we talking about here? What is that yoke of slavery? What are we, what are we slaves to? Sin. Good. Thank you for that confidence. Lee's got your two for two, buddy. But we've been set free from that bondage, yes, haven't we, in Christ? Yes, we have. Now, we've been talking a lot about recognizing and understanding that we are sinners. And we need to be mindful of the fact that we are sinners who are in regular need of forgiveness. That's a big part of the gospel and rehearsing it to ourselves. But that awareness of our sin is meant to help us see our need for Jesus and his forgiveness. It's not meant to make us feel bad. But he freely offers it through his finished work on the cross. So... If we're not careful, and, and maybe some of you can relate with this, our sin should not 
shape our identity. What we've done in the past, who we were in the past, should not shape us in a negative way, I should say. It can sometimes if we forget that we've been forgiven, church. We're set free from the past sin and from the sin that we face in our lives today, for that matter. So stand firm. That's what Paul tells us. You have been forgiven and set free. So stand firm in that. Don't fall back into those old ways, but also don't let those ways influence you in a way to where you get confused of who you are. In that same vein, the third thing we look at is that we're crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love this verse. It's a powerful verse. But let's work backwards through it. I know, and hopefully you now know from the last point, that Christ loves me and gave himself for me on the cross. And that this new life that we have in Jesus, we have it how? By faith. Nothing new there, hopefully. But the opening of this verse is key to our identity. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live at Christ and lives in me. What does it mean to be crucified? What is the result of crucifixion? Death. death. <laughs> yes, thank you. It means to be put to death. So in this case, what is being put to death? The old me, the old self, sin and sinful desire. Good, thank you for that. So as we are well aware, collectively, I think, we still have a strong urge to sin and we are often tempted. But when we acknowledge that in our new identity we have now been crucified with Christ, we're saying, no, we are dead to sin. Look, we don't have to give in to this temptation anymore. Whereas before Christ, we had nothing stopping us from sinning. We were in bondage. That's not the truth anymore. We are set free. And then to say that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Another way of saying this, church, is that I'm not my own to do whatever I want. I am not my own anymore. I have been bought at a price. I am his, and as such, I, I choose freedom. Again, if you've got your Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Paul expands this idea in verse, starting in verse 6. So Romans 6, starting in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Amen? Yep, we just talked about that. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ in Jesus. That's your identity, church. Do you consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, this is why we're conquerors in Christ Jesus. As I'm sure some of you say, when my identity is in Christ, you say, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, which is true. But why? This is why. (laughs) Because we identify with Jesus' death and his resurrection, his defeat over sin and death, and since we are united with him, our old self is dead. Church, that's who you are. No longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So that identity in Jesus, man, it's going to have a massive impact on your daily life in how you respond to sin and temptation, or at least it ought to. You see, because I think we just have a cursory understanding of these things. We just say these things out of habit. Yep, I'm a child of God. Yep, I've been set free. Yep, I've been crucified with Christ. But it has minimal, I almost said no, minimal impact on how you live out your life. Because I don't know that it's been fully, fully ingested in your soul. Fourthly, we are servants of Christ. Galatians 1.10 For I am now, for am I now, seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As I said earlier, church, we were bought at a price, but we are bought at a price for a purpose. For a purpose. And that purpose, it does not include pleasing men, believe it or not. For some of us, that's a hard pill to swallow because we are people pleasers. But our purpose is not in that. Now, we don't abandon our duty to love others, but the reason we do these things, serving, should become increasingly clear. As servants who belong to Jesus, what is our primary mission? What is our primary mission as servants of Jesus? What do you think? Make disciples? What else? Primary mission as servants of Jesus. Glorify him. I think all of those answers are true, and I think they all collectively find their yes and amen in the fact that we are called primarily to make his name known throughout the world. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. If there's a takeaway from today, if you haven't listened yet, or you're going to turn off for the rest of the sermon, then listen to that. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. That is who we are in Christ. Our identity as servants includes the critical task of making him known. And we most effectively do that through consistent God-honoring service. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Listen, my friends, stop allowing things of this world to define and shape who you are. What people think of you cannot shape your identity. Where you come from cannot shape your identity. What you look like, your intelligence level, your bank account, your ability to perfectly craft the idealistic persona on social media cannot define you. None of this 
should be allowed to control who you think you are. But it does, doesn't it? So what do we do with those false identities? When those things pop up, how do we combat them? Because they will come up. Let me ask you this first. What causes us to see ourselves other than the way God sees us? What do you think causes us to see ourselves other than the way God sees us? Distractions? Listening to the world. Life experiences, perhaps lapses in judgment. (laughs) Society, as Jim said, lies of the enemy. Sin. Again, we are not defined by our previous sin or our present sin for that matter. But once you recognize that there is a false identity as a result of any of these things, it doesn't really matter how you get there. If you're being shaped by one of these things, what do we do? Well, first of all, we just we turn away from it and we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ Jesus. We replace that thought with the Word of God. That is why it's so important that you know who you are in Christ, that you know what your identity is. So when you see other things creeping up, you're like, no, no, not today, devil, <laughs> right? You tell him, I'm a child of God who is deeply loved who has direct access to God and who has never left alone to fend for himself. You see, Satan's goal is to blur the line as much as he can between your old identity and your new identity. He's going to work any way that he can to draw you away from the truth and into the lies that you're not worthy. Oh, here's the kicker. (laughs) You're not worthy. You're not. Nothing that you say or do is earning this new status in Christ. And I think we know that. You've been around Paler long enough. You've heard us say things of that nature. So in those instances, just tell the devil he's right. You know what, devil? You're right. I'm not worthy. <laughs> but God, Romans 5.8, you want a good memory verse? That's a great one. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And in that death, church, Jesus made a way for us to become children of God. But to all who did receive him, who, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you have repented, you changed your mind about your sin, about who God is, you've received him, you believed in what he accomplished on the cross, that's it. You are his. John 5.24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So church, I'm telling you right now, push back against those false identities and know who you are in Jesus. Own it and live it every single day. Why? What's the end game here? Let me read you a quote from Mr. Piper, who clearly states this. Our identity is not an end in itself, but for the sake of priestly service, which Peter defines as proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, he has given us our identity in order that his identity might be proclaimed through us. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of of making known his identity. Now listen to this. The meaning of our identity is that the excellency of God be seen in us. 
God made us who we are to show the world who he is. So let me ask you, church, how would believing the truth about your new identity in Christ change the way that you live? How could it? How has it? How should it? You see, the Galatians' identity in law-keeping, it actually damaged the reputation of Christ because it caused division, it caused confusion. Well, are we supposed to get circumcised? Are we not supposed to get circumcised? Like, we follow the law, we don't follow the law. There was infighting and all kinds of things that caused damage to the reputation of Christ because they couldn't figure out who they really were. Is there something in you right now in which you are finding your identity that might be causing damage to God's reputation? As a professed Christian, is your focus on your job leading you to make decisions that are not honoring to the Lord? Only you can truly answer that question. Is your loyalty, perhaps, to, let's say, oh, I don't know, a political party, is that loyalty overshadowing your loyalty to Jesus in the sense that how and what you say in defense of your political standing is drawing the focus away from Jesus? And yes, I absolutely chose that example for such a time as this because we see it all over the place. We've got to be careful with what is shaping our identity and what people see in us, in our words, in our actions Perhaps your words and your actions are actually causing people to even question what it is that you believe. And in that moment, the battle's lost before it even begins. When people see your old, selfish, divisive, hurtful, impatient, unforgiving identity shining brighter than the new identity in Christ, then we need to stop, immediately repent, and get back on track. So I would say make no mistake, church, we are, we are clearly living in a very divisive, polarizing society right now. As Christians, our role then, in spite of all of this, is to bring the focus back around to Jesus. If our primary mission is to make Jesus known, then part of our responsibility in these situations is to bring our identity into focus through who we are in Christ that others would see, oh, it's not doesn't have to be all about my job. It doesn't have to be all about who wins the election. It doesn't have to be all about X, Y, or Z. We do this by remembering who we are in Christ. So here's a takeaway for you. Ask yourself regularly this question. Is what I'm about to do or say going to affirm my true identity in Christ and bring glory to him? Am what I am about to do or say, is it going to confirm my identity in Christ and bring glory to God? Because what's the only other alternative? Is that it doesn't. We complicate this thing too much, church. We try to weave things in and out and go, oh, if I just do this or do that over here, or if I'm this and this circle and this and this circle, that's the wrong answer. We, 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 we overcomplicate it. We're either finding our identity in Christ and bringing him glory, or we're not. Jesus knew we would need it simple. There's a lot of other things competing for our attention. 
So if we can answer that question positively, then we continue to go in that direction. If not, then in that moment we've forgotten what is supposed to be shaping our identity. And you remind yourself, I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven, and I am set free. I've been crucified with Christ. I am a servant of the one true King. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of, of your identity in Christ, but I think these are sort of the major building blocks that are going to help you really shape who you are in Christ in building your identity. Because here's, I think, sort of the bottom line as I wrap this up. At the end of the day, when you lose your identity in Christ, you lose your credibility for Christ among the lost. Right? When you lose your identity in Christ, you lose your credibility for Christ among the lost. And that's the whole point, right? (laughs) You see how important this really is. So in closing, let me ask you two questions that you can answer hopefully now and you can continue to answer every day that you're on this planet. Number one, who does God say that you are? And number two, is that truth properly shaping your new identity in Christ? I think if you can regularly ask and answer those questions, church, you're going to be in a good place. Now, of course, with all the messages that we preach, we know that as humans and that sinful nature comes in, we're going to fall short. We're going to mess it up. But where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Right? This, this is not a make-us-feel-bad kind of thing. Actually, this should be like re- just really encouraging to us. To say, no, 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 this is who I am in Christ. Yeah, I might mess it up. Because that sin nature just keeps on coming out. And it will. But at the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow, and you ask, who does God say that I am? And is that really shaping who I am? I think that's a good litmus test for us in this season, especially when people have their eyes on the church. And people are asking, like, oh, what do you think about this person? Or this person's doing this, and, and they're celebrity Christians or whatever you say, people's eyes are on the church right now. I I think more than than they have been recently anyway. (laughs) And we have an opportunity. We do. We have an opportunity to change the narrative. But what people see in you matters. It matters desperately. And I pray that they see Christ in all of us as we continue to become more like him and less like ourselves. Okay, church? That's, that's all I got. So I'm going to pray, and then Mike's going to come up and lead us in communion. Lord, I thank you so much that you, you do outline very clearly in your scriptures, God, who we are. And we are tremendously grateful, Lord, that we, we are your children, Lord. And there's a special and unique bond that exists between children and, and their, their parents. Between our Father in heaven and us, a bond that is not easily broken, Lord God. In fact, it's never broken. Nothing can pluck us from your hand. We are truly finding our identity in you, Christ, and we will be your children for eternity. So Lord, I just pray that if there's anything in our hearts right now anything in our lives that is, is really doing too much of the, the shaping. It's been in the driver's seat for too long. 
And we've cared too much about what people think about us. Or we've cared too much about how much money is in our bank account. Or what kind of car we drive. Or what school our kids go to. Lord, these things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, Lord. But when they, get, they drive us to make decisions... And they take control over identity. God, that's not good. And so, Lord, I, I just I pray that you'd help us all to see what those things are in our lives, what those distractions are, that we would repent and turn from them, God, and, and, and continue to find our identity in you. And, Lord, I know that we do that best in community. Because as I look around at my brothers and sisters this evening, Lord, it's really, it really is hard to hide that identity. When we're doing life together, Lord, it's, it's difficult to hide. And so I know that's why you call us in community. It's one reason you call us into community that we might not lose our focus and our identity in you, Lord. So help us to stay, remain in community and be focused on what matters most to you, Lord. We thank you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.